are in the middle of chapter 43, and we're talking about very high levels of serving Hashem. Last week, I quoted from the Rebbe's discourse where he talked about just flooding our soul, thinking about high things makes our heart spiritually sensitive. When we flood our soul with light, our heart becomes sensitive. On Pesach, I studied a talk of the Rebbe, and he was talking about how people think that certain levels are just beyond them or certain good deeds they can't accomplish because I don't have the capacity for that. So the Rebbe is talking about in this talk how a person can think like, these things that I want to achieve, they're beyond me. I know myself. Who am I kidding? And the Rebbe gives incredible insight. And he says, do you know what? Most souls nowadays have been here before. We're not new souls. We've come down many times actually. And we don't realize the good that we've done in previous lifetimes. <coughs> good is eternal. And when we come to accomplish something new, take on a new spiritual achievement, we have to remember the good from all of our past lifetimes is aiding us. So having this in mind when we tackle these like deep ideas, these high spiritual levels, it's not beyond us. It may seem like it's beyond us, it's not beyond us. We can get there. And the Altarab is giving us the plan. How do we get there? So we started off saying, you know, we talked about different levels of fear of Hashem. We talked about that basic level of just, I'm doing it because Hashem said so. Then we talked about a higher level than that, realizing that Hashem is the king. I would never want to disobey him. And it's not about fear of punishment. It's just realizing his majesty. I don't want to disobey him. And there is a higher level. Looking at the world, looking at everything that Hashem created, realizing his greatness, and I'm in the presence of such a great and powerful God, such an exalted God, I would never want to do something that he doesn't like. And the altar said, all those levels of fear that we discussed until now, even the highest one of recognizing his greatness, are all still part of the lower level of fear. Lower level of fear and external level of fear. And why is it lower and why is it external? Because looking at the world, we come to know about Hashem's greatness, but it's just his clothes. We haven't come to know anything about who he is in his essence. We haven't gotten to know his self. Were we to know his self, the kind of awe that we would have would make us self-abnegate. We would totally surrender. We wouldn't have an existence for ourselves. We would literally like lose ourselves within the divine. We would just feel, and when I say these words, I know they're hard to accept because in American language, it doesn't sound good. We would feel shame at the core of our being. And that shame is the shame of being in the presence of an essence that's way beyond us. Like the Altar said in a Hasidic discourse, it's like the shame of being in the presence of a great and noble tzaddik. It's not his power that makes us feel awe. It's who he is that makes us feel awe. We just feel like, what am I compared to him? Well, take that to Hashem. And the way that we surrender, coming to know him in that way, is total surrender. Now, we have to remember that although this sounds like I'm totally losing myself, and it's true, a person who's in this space is totally losing himself. <coughs> but the altar of us says in a mimer, Hashem's exaltedness 
is not a distancing from us, God forbid. To the contrary, that is closeness to us. Since all is null in front of him and all is nothing before him, there is no separation. When we start to realize Hashem's essence and realize we don't have a separate existence, what a level of closeness. We are totally subsumed within him. When we are surrendering, when we self-abnegate, we're losing ourselves within Hashem. So here we are, Yerei Baishas, the fear stemming from shame. Okay, last week we started this, so I'm just going to continue the words from last week, repeating the thought. However, as for Yerei a fear stemming from a sense of shame before God's greatness, and an inner fear that derives from the inward aspects of godliness within the world, Allah Amru im ein chachma ein yira. Concerning this level of fear, it was said by our sages, if there is no wisdom, there is no fear. This level of fear must be prefaced by wisdom. Because last class we spoke about the saying of our sages from Mishnah Avos, im ein yira ein chachma, im ein chachma ein yira. If there is no fear, there is no wisdom. And if there is no wisdom, there is no fear. And it's like, so, okay, so now what? Where do we start? You can't have fear without wisdom. And you can't have wisdom without fear. Okay, so where do we start? So the altar said there's two levels of fear. One level of fear is you can't begin to have wisdom unless you have that fear in place. There's no approaching serving Hashem until this fear is in place. That's the lower level of fear. This is the level of fear where I accept Hashem as my master. Why am I studying Torah? Why am I doing mitzvahs? Because I'm a servant of Hashem. I accept his rulership upon me. That's the only way to start serving. So that's the lower level of fear. And that level of fear is without fear, there's no wisdom. You can't have Torah, Hashem's wisdom, without having fear of him. But then there's a higher level. We spoke about Moshe Rabbeinu telling the Jewish people that Hashem has commanded us all these commandments so that we can come to fear him. The mitzvahs bring us to fear Hashem. This kind of fear is the destination. The first fear was a prerequisite. It's like in order to start, you have to have this in place. This level of fear is, this is the goal. This is where we want to be. We want to be in this place of fear of Hashem, but we can't get there if we don't first have Chochmah. So Chochmah means Torah and Mitzvot, and the altar is going to explain what Chochmah is. We've visited this before in Tanya. We looked at it in chapter 3. We looked at it in chapter 18. We also, also spoke about it in chapter 19. But here, the Alter Rebbe is going to define Chachma for us so we can understand why we need it in order to reach this level of fear. Allah Amru in Chachma in Yira. Concerning this level of fear, it was said by the sages, if there is no wisdom, there is no fear. This level of fear must be prefaced by wisdom. De Chachma Hikayachma, for Chachma is Koachma, the level of nullification which is termed Ma. What? As the verse says, Vinachnuman, we are ma, a phrase that expresses the complete and total nullification, which is termed bitl bimitsias. So the word chachma, the Zohar tells us, is a composite of two words, koach ma, the power of what? What is like, what am I? That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said when Jews were complaining against him and Aharon. He said, Vinachnuma, what are we? We are ma. Rashi explains, Me'anu chashuvin, of what significance are we? In order to reach higher fear of Hashem, we have to have chachma. What's chachma? Chachma is the power of self-suspension. Totally putting the self aside. 
In order to truly come to wisdom, a person has to be able to surrender their ego. And that's why there is an expression called gay shaita. Every arrogant person is a fool. <coughs> because if a person is arrogant, they know everything. And if you know everything, you can't learn anything new. The way Rabbi Steinsaltz puts it is, it's possible to travel the entire world and not see anything new. And that's why children learn so well. Because they're curious. They don't have a sense of how things are. They just want to know. They don't have their ego yet in place. They're just curious. They're wondering. They want to know what you have to say. If a person doesn't have this power of chachma, they don't have this, or everybody has the power of chachma. If a person doesn't use their power of chachma, they haven't used, had the chance to put themselves aside in order to get anything new. You know, I once gave a personality lecture to a group of couples, and afterwards a couple came to chat, and they were like, wow, this is so interesting because, you know, she sent her husband to therapy all these years because she didn't like the way he was. Like, you know, he was too introverted for her. He wasn't emotionally effusive and expressive enough. And she said, all these problems that you have is because of your childhood, your upbringing. Now go to therapy and get it worked out. And then they sat there and they were like looking and it's like, oh, actually, that's the way he was born. <laughs> that's just the way he is. Maybe she shouldn't be changing him. So I shared with her an interesting insight that I read from John Gottman, which is in marriage, people don't change if they feel like they have to. If they feel like they have to change in order for the other person to accept, him, accept them, they don't change. So she turns to her husband and she said, see, honey, people only change if they feel like they have to. It's like, but that's not what she said. She's like, what did you say? And I repeated to myself, People don't change if they feel like they have to. And she said, see, that's what I told you, honey. People only change if they feel like they have to. <laughs> it took three times because she was so stuck in her perspective, she couldn't hear anything new. That's not the way to be wise. <laughs> we have to be able to suspend ourselves and say, hey, maybe there's something I don't know. Me, what am I? What are we? In order to reach this higher level of fear of Hashem, we have to be able to totally suspend ourselves. And Chachma comes from Ayin, from, for which reason Chachma is Ayin and Nullity. So this is from Eov, and he says, Where is wisdom found? Where are you going to find wisdom? But Kabbalah explains that actually, Chachma me'ayin timatse, that the metziut, the existence of Chachma is iron, nothingness. What is Chachma? Chachma is iron, nothingness. In order to reach this higher level of fear of Hashem, there has to be Chachma. In Chachma, in Yira. If there is no Chachma, there is no fear of Hashem. So let's just summarize these few lines and let's move on to the next section. We're talking about this higher level of fear of Hashem, which is a fear of Hashem that comes from knowing his innerness. Not from seeing his garments, from knowing his inner self. And this level of fear, in order to reach it, we need chachma. And that's why our sages said, "Im ein chachma in yir. If there is no chachma, there is no yir. What is chachma? Chachma is kayachma, the potentiality of what. Means, me, what am I? I have nothing. I just don't know. I'm able to self-suspend. In order to truly get a new idea, we have to be able to self-suspend. And Chachma me'ayin ti matze. Chachma comes from ayin. 
If you look at the difference between Chachma, the place where we just don't know anything, and Bina, where we're working out ideas, when it comes to us working out ideas, we're very much active in that game. We're now analyzing, we're thinking, hey, how does this apply to here? And where did I hear this before? And how do these two things come work together? That's healthy in the stage of Bina. There, the person's mind dominates. When it comes to Chachma, it's not about our intellect. It's about the thing itself. And that's why Chachma is compared to vision. When you see something, the thing is like appearing to you. You're an observer and the thing shows itself to you. When you're in Chachma, something is fl- flooding your mind that you haven't able, been able to work out yet. You don't know yet the details of it. It's just you have an idea. If I ask you before you've sat with it for a moment, what I- moment, what idea did you get? You won't be able to tell me. Say, stop, 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 ah, I didn't get it yet. You might even lose it because it's so nebulous. That's the place of Chachma. In order to have this higher fear of Hashem where we totally lose ourselves, we surrender in essence to Hashem, we have to have Chachma. Now the altar is going to describe this function of Chachma in, in reaching this higher level of fear. And our sages said, moreover, who is wise? He who sees that which is born and created. So this is from the Talmud and Tamid, who is a wise person, he who sees that which is born. What does that mean, sees that which is born? The expression appears as well in the Mishnah and Abbas, and it means he who sees the consequences of his actions, a person with foresight, who's smart. You realize, you know, if you do this, it's going to lead to that. You know, it sounds good for the very moment. You realize, look a few steps further, it's really not that good. So be a little more wise and realize where is this leading to. So that's the simple explanation of this statement. Who is wise? He who sees that which will be born. But there's another way of translating nolad. The word nolad, as the Talmud notes, doesn't only mean for the future. It also means for the past. The same word nolad could mean we'll see what will be born and also what has been born. What is the wise person? The wise person, even in the simple sense, somebody who has foresight, is able to see beyond the obvious. You know, you see what you see, but a wise person can see beyond the obvious and look past it. So when it comes to the simple sense, they have foresight. They see where this is going to lead. When it comes to the Kabbalistic sense, it means that they see how everything is brought into being. And that's what the Altarbet describes now. Perush. Sheraya kol davar, ech neilad v'nishave me'ayin liyesh. Bidvar Hashem v'ruach piv yisbarech. K'mayisha kosev uvaruach piv kol tzva'am. That is to say, that the wise person is he who sees how everything is born and created from non-being to being by means of the word of Hashem and the breath of his mouth, as it is written, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts were created. So the wise man sees two things. First of all, he understands that everything was created something from nothing. We don't have that experience as human beings. Anytime we make something, it's out of something else. You know, you made a table, but where'd you get the wood from? You had to chop down a tree. Nobody truly fashions something from nothing. Hashem fashioned this world out of nothing. This entire world is brought into being out of nothing. And furthermore, what does the wise man see? What is the source of the world? It's the word of Hashem and the breath of his mouth. That means that the world has no independent existence. The reason why it's here is because Hashem brought it into being 
by the word of his mouth. Bidvar Hashem Shemaim Naasu. That's what David HaMelech says in Tehillim. By the word of, of Hashem, the heavens were made. And our sages tell us in Mishnah Avot, ha'ilam, that with 10 utterances, the world was created. So this world into being was spoken into being by the word of Hashem. It has no independent existence. An example given a lot in Hasidic philosophy, rocks don't fly, right? The nature of the rock is to fall downward. Well, what if you're standing and all of a sudden you see a rock flying? Whew, I see a flying rock. You don't suddenly think that this rock is a flying rock. You think someone threw it. This rock doesn't have the nature of flying. It doesn't have the capacity to fly. If it's flying, it's not attributable to the rock. It has to be attributed to something else, which is the person who threw it. So even when the rock is midair, it didn't now take on the ability to fly. Even when it's midair, it's an expression of the power to throw that the person exercised in throwing the rock. So if we're looking at the movement of the rock, it is nothing of its own. It's literally an expression of the person's power to throw. And that is creation. Creation was spoken into being. It has no existence of itself. It's like looking at a rock and saying, now it flies. No, this world doesn't have an existence. This world is being spoken into being by the word of Hashem. So a wise man can see that. A wise man can see these two things, that creation was brought into being something from nothing and that it was spoken into existence by Hashem. Therefore, the heavens and the earth and all their hosts, meaning all of creation, are truly nullified out of existence within the word of Hashem and the breath of his mouth, the level of their nullification is thus not that of Bittel Hayesh, but of Bittel B'Metzius, and are accounted as nothing at all, as naught and nothingness indeed, just as the light and brightness of the sun are nullified within the body of the sun itself. Okay, wow, what does that mean? So let's look at our own power of speech. What is our power of speech? Our power of speech is a very external power to ourself. Why do we speak? We speak in order to communicate with someone outside of ourselves. There's another power that we have. That's the power of thought. Why do we think? We think because we're expressing ourselves to ourselves. So you can say, well, thinking is a very inner self of the person, and speaking is very external. Actually, that's not true. Even thinking is something external. Thinking and speaking are similar to each other in that they are made up of letters and words. Letters and words could be valueless and meaningless. They don't have inner content. They only have the content that we've put inside of them. In contrast, our emotions and our intellect are our self. And if we're looking at the difference between thinking and speaking and Intellect and emotion, which means understanding and feeling, the difference is profound. Thinking and, and speaking are external to ourself. They take words and they could be meaningless. You could be saying meaningless words. Not only could you be saying meaningless words, you even could be thinking meaningless words. You can hold words in your mind that have no meaning. 
Like for example, you can hold the thought in your mind that two plus two is five, or you can have in your mind words from a different language that you don't understand. They don't mean anything to you. You're holding them in your head. I heard this incredible story. I think it was of the Teres Chassid. This was a Chassid of the Tzemach Tzedek, the grandson of the Alter Rebbe. He had a brilliant mind, a photographic memory. He could remember anything. The bookseller in Lubavitch had a policy with him that he wants to look at his books. He can only look at the first book, the first page and decide if he wants to buy it or not. Because if he would look through the whole book, he literally didn't have to buy it. Like that kind of mind. No, this was the Teres Chassid. It was a Chassid. A Chassid of the, of the Tzavach Tzedek, the Teres Chassid. And he once was sitting with these two guys or in the vicinity of these two guys who looked like they were up to no good. They were speaking in front of him because they didn't care what they said because he didn't understand their language. So he sat there for around an hour and listened to their whole conversation in a language that he didn't understand that was meaningless to him. Then he went to the police station and repeated it. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. And they were able to catch on to the plot. But here he was holding a bunch of words in his head that to him held no meaning. In our thoughts, we can hold things that have no meaning. When it comes to understanding or feeling, this is not about language. This is not about words. This is essential. You know, we speak in a certain language. We express our emotions in a certain language. Do we feel in a certain language? Do we understand in a certain language? At that place, it's pre-lingual. When someone explains something to you and you get it, it's not about language. It like hits a place within yourself beyond language. So let's take that over from the human experience to what it's like in the divine. Hashem's word is a contracted level of godliness in order to bring all the worlds into being. What is a word? A word is a very external aspect of the self. When we compare it to thought, it doesn't have any value. Word comes from thought. It's thoughts that make words. And the author notes later on in Tanya something very interesting. You can find people repeating words and thinking about something else at the same time. But he said it isn't possible unless they first thought about it the thir- first time they said it. Like, so here, here from Egeras Arkadish Sibanyu Tess, how speaking comes from thought even when you're not thinking. And the altar says, Aisia Sadibur Mamish. The letters of actual speech come into being and receive their life force from those very letters that are in thought. Though sometimes a person may speak of one thing while thinking of another, in such an instance he can speak only of such words and combinations that he has already spoken previously and that were in his thought a great many times. It is thought that had to create those words the first time. Like it showed me this funny that clip of this lady. She does these like comical things about being a mother. And she's like driving carpool. And her kids are like telling about her day and she's not really listening because she just has like so much going on. You know, everything they say like, wow, beautiful. And her kid is like, and mommy, he scratched me today. And she's like, scratched you? Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> she's not even thinking what she's saying, but she said those words so many times before. 
thought that was funny. But here we're looking at what is a word. A word has no value compared to thought. And thought itself has no value compared to the essence of the soul. Now, when it comes to our experience, our word is separate from us. So once the word leaves us, it actually does have some type of value or significance. Yes, when compared to thought or when compared to the essence of the soul, it really loses all value. But when it's in its own world, the world of speech, a, world, a word has great value. And thought too. In its own world, it has great value. It's only that when you compare it to something higher than itself, that's when it loses value. It's like a person who is a small-scale wise person. They're wise, even though when you put them next to King Shlomo, like they, they look like a fool. But in his own circle, he's a wise person. It doesn't lose his wisdom. His wisdom is still wisdom. Just compare to Shlomo HaMelech, what is his wisdom? But here, it's very different. Because as the is going to spell out for us, Hashem's word never leaves his word is united with his spot thought, and his thought is united with himself. So his word really has no value outside of him. So we're having these two thoughts in mind. First of all, everything was created something from nothing. And furthermore, everything was created by the word of Hashem. So the fact that it was created by the word of Hashem tells us that it has no independent existence outside of the word of Hashem. And the fact that it was created something from nothing tells us that it actually has no value or significance at all when it's compared to the essence of Hashem himself. Because we're measuring up this level of godliness, as it were. We're looking at Hashem's speech and we're saying Hashem's speech, that's what brought all of creation into existence. And what is it compared to himself? Compared to himself, it's nothing. Yes, it's true for ourselves that our speech is compared to nothing only when it's still within ourselves. As the Altar told us in chapter 20 about how when you trace the word back to the essence of the soul, yeah, we said you don't understand in a language. We said you don't feel in a language. We feel like language doesn't exist in that place of understanding and emotion. But the truth is, he told us, it does exist because it's the understanding and the emotion that generates those words but they're non-existent in their source. And it's like the example the Altarabah gives here, and it's something that he says later on in Shari Yechiv it's like the light of the sun within the globe of the sun. And let me read to you from Shari Yechiv chapter three, where the Altarabah describes this idea. He says, I'm <coughs> sorry. He says, V'hini zepashet sh'or v'ziv hazeh yeshnei gamkein b'guf v'choymer kadar hashemesh atzmai shebashemayim. She'em mispashet u'meir l'mei rachet kol kach, kol she'kein she'yuchal lahar b'mkoymei mamish. Now it is obvious that this light and radiance is also present in the very body and matter of the sun globe itself in the sky. For if it can spread and shine to such a great distance, then certainly it can shed light in its own place. So we're looking at sunlight. Sunlight over here is an existence, right? Let's go to sunlight in the sun. Is there sunlight in the sun? There's just the sun. You're not going to say, within the sun, there's sunlight. No, there's but one existence. It's the sun. But wait a minute. Where did the sunlight come from? If it's shining so far away from the sun, it obviously is much more powerful in its source. But when it's in its source, it doesn't have an existence. And that's the same thing with the word of Hashem in its source. You know, think of our own experience. If we're speaking words that are conveying our ideas or our emotions, 
then they had to have been somewhere within our intellect and our emotions. The only thing is, at that place, they didn't have an existence. But for us, once we've expressed those words, they take on an existence. For Hashem, nothing ever leaves Him. They are still within its source. And so therefore, the word of Hashem is literally nothing and subsumed within Him. There is no independent existence. There's other analogy, there are other analogies given for this. They make it more tangible, bring it into our world, but they're not as accurate. And they are of a drop of ocean cast into the ocean. You have a little drop in your hand, you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna throw this into the sea. Okay, now when you look at the ocean, do you see the drop of water? You don't see the drop of water. All you see is the ocean. That drop has lost its existence. It's now part of the ocean. Or a small flame cast into a larger fire. Now it doesn't have an existence anymore. All there is, is the existence of the larger flame. Of course, what's not exact about that analogy is what is the ocean after all? It's made up of many, many, many drops of water. But here when we're talking about the sun is not made up of light. It's not the light that makes the sun the sun. And the emotions and the intellect are not made up of words. So they really, really have no existence in their source. You know, talking about calculating the drops of the ocean, the Talmud says that there are people who were able to calculate the drops in the ocean. There's a story of Rabban Gamliel who was traveling, presumably on behalf of the Jewish people, and on the same ship as him there was Rabbi Yeshua. Rabban Gamliel brought bread, Rabbi Yeshua brought bread and flour. Now, the trip took longer than expected because the sailors made a mistake, and Rabban Gamliel ran out of his bread. So he sustained himself by eating Rabbi Yeshua's flour that he brought with him. He said, you're so wise. How did you know to bring flour? Did you know that the trip would take longer than expected? And he said, you know, I know that there is a star that rises every once in 70 years. I guess like it's like a comet or something. And I thought, maybe it's going to rise during our trip and it's going to mislead the sailors. So I brought along the flour just in case. And Ram Gamliel said, wow, you're so wise and you have to travel for business? He said, why are you wondering about me? Wonder about two of your students that you have on dry land who are able to calculate the drops in the ocean. This is Rabbi Elazar Chesma and Rabbi Yechidim and Gudguda. They're able to calculate the drops that there are in the ocean and they don't have any bread to eat and they don't have any clothes to wear. And actually that bothered Rabbi Gamliel, of course, very much. So when he came back, he decided he's going to appoint them, give them a salary. So he sent messengers for them and they didn't want to be appointed to a position, you know, of a rabbi or some authority in the community. They were humble, so they didn't come. When he called for them again, this is the Nasi, the prince of the Jewish people. You couldn't refuse, so they had to come. And he sent them a message. He told them, he said, Do you think I was giving you authority, leadership, in appointing you to a position of leadership in the Jewish community? No. I was giving you servitude. Being a leader for the Jewish community means being a servant to the people. And I guess that all brings it together about a true leader and somebody who is on a high level that is all about humility. It's all about surrendering to Hashem and recognizing that nothing has any independent existence outside of Hashem. Once sunlight has left the sun, one can perceive actual rays and illumination. <clears throat> However, when the light of the sun is found in its source, the body of the sun itself, it is completely nullified and does not exist in a luminous state. All that exists, all that exists there is the source of the light, the sun itself. So too are all created beings 
nullified in their source, the word of God that creates him ex nihilo. When a person ponders this matter, it will so affect him that his nullification to Hashem will be at the level of bitl b'metzias. Bittel b'metzias is nullification in essence. So when somebody nullifies, like we talk, they, Lessons in Tanya is referencing these two levels of nullification. One is Bittel Hayesh, which is like nullifying the ego. And then there's Bittel B'metzias, which means like they still think of themselves as a, Bittel Hayesh is still thinking of themselves as an existence, but deferring to something higher than themselves. So nullifying the ego. Bittel B'metzias is losing any sense of independent existence. No sense of self at all. So a person can think about all these things, you know, sit on top of the mountain and be like, wow. The world and anything and everything in it really is nothing. Because what is the world? It was brought into existence by the word of Hashem. Something from nothing. Let's think about that. The word of Hashem, a very contracted level of godliness, brings all of existence into being. Literally something out of nothing. And when we compare the word of Hashem to Hashem himself, it loses all value and importance. With Alter says, don't forget to personalize this. You know, we're thinking about all creation. Let's apply it to ourselves. And no man should accept himself from this principle, from the principle governing all created beings, about which he understands that they are totally nullified to Hashem. He should realize, Shagam Gufai, Vinafshai, Viruchai, Vinishmasai, Betalim, Vimatius, Bidvar Hashem, that also his body and Nefesh Ruch and Neshama are utterly nullified in the word of Hashem that created them. So a person is thinking about all of existence. Our intellect keeps us thinking that we're an independent existence. Our intellect is part of this world, and it's not natural for us to automatically take it personally. So Alter says, take it personally. Realize that all of creation is nullified to Hashem, including our body and furthermore, our nefesh ruach and neshama, which are aspects of our soul. And you can think, wow, didn't we learn in chapter two that the soul comes from Hashem's thought? And the answer is, yes, it's true. The root of roots of our soul is in the highest place. But in order to be invested in the body, it first had to be clothed within that contracted level of godliness called the word of Hashem. And his word is united with his thought. And Hashem's thought, in turn, is one with Hashem himself. Thus, the nullification is not only to Hashem's word, but is a total nullification to Hashem himself, as has been explained at length, chapters 20 and 21, by analogy with the human soul, one utterance of whose speech and thought are veritably as nothing when compared to the power of speech, which is limitless. Surely one word pales utterly in comparison to man's thought, which is the source of speech. Even more so when a single utterance is compared to the source of thought, the power of intellect or emotion, depending on whether the individual is thinking about intellectual or emotional things. Surely then this spoken word cannot in any way be compared to the soul itself. So this whole world came into being by a very contracted divine level, Hashem's speech. Let's compare that to Hashem's intellect and emotions, as it were. What is that? The ten sefirot. If we compare the world to Hashem's ten sefirot, as, as it were, his intellect and emotions, 
it's nothing. It becomes absolutely nothing. And we can't forget to take it personally and say, this applies to me. That means that I have no independent existence outside of Hashem. Nothing about me is separate from Hashem. I've been created by His Word. And that because I've been created by His Word and that is my existence, I am subsumed within that Word. But what is that Word? That Word is nothing compared to the essence of Hashem. There is, however, a difference between man's speech and God's. When a human being speaks, the sound emitted from his mouth departs from its source and becomes a separate entity. God's creative speech, however, never departs, heaven forbid, from its source, that source being God himself, who is omnipresent. Thus, divine speech is always found within its source. It now becomes even more clear that God's word, the source of creation, is truly and totally nullified to and unified with Hashem. Thus, all of creation is completely nullified to Hashem. V'zehu she'amar ha'kasov, he'niras Hashem hi'chachma. This is what is meant by the verse. Behold the fear of God, that is wisdom. So if you look at the verse, commentaries explain that one is not fitting without the other. So it's as if you want to, you're trying to say over here that fear of God is the pathway to wisdom. But if you read it very literally, as Kabbalah does, it means fear of God, fear of Hashem, is wisdom. To have this level of fear of Hashem, you need Chachma. This level, Yira Ila'a, itself is Chachma. For as explained earlier, the level of Yira Ila'a and Bittol B'Metzius is the same as wisdom. It too is essentially Bittol B'Metzius. So how do we get there? It's very nice, you know. We can talk about it all day long, but to truly feel like I am nothing for myself. I am not an independent existence. Literally, me and everything of this world was brought into existence by the word of Hashem and is totally surrendered to him. In essence, no independent existence. A person who really wants to understand it could. They can sit with the intellectual idea. They can work it through. It will take time. It will take effort. It will take intellectual work, but they'll get there. Getting there intellectually is one thing, but getting there in a place that you feel it like Chachma, seeing it, like you really see it, like this is my reality, this is what like vibes within me, that's somewhere else. That can't come just from intellectual meditation because intellectual meditation is of this world and we're never going to get past that word of Hashem which brings this world into existence. The word of Hashem which brings the world into existence is a contracted level of divine light. It's here in order to bring the world into existence. So while it is what brings the world into existence and everything is subsumed within it, it does give some type of importance to the world. After all, it's what brings them into existence. Yehi or, let there be light. Yehi rakia, let there be a sky. It's speaking into existence. We can't, can't get past that, that word of God, that contracted level that brings it into existence. But there is one way. However, one cannot attain this fear and wisdom except by means of the fulfillment of Torah and mitzvot. What is Torah? What are the mitzvot? Torah is Hashem's wisdom. The mitzvot are Hashem's will. Hashem's wisdom, His will is one with Him. The first word of the Ten Commandments is Anochi. Anochi is a contraction of the words, as the Talmud says, Ana nafshi kesavis yahavis. Literally, that means I myself 
have given it and written it to you. But Chassidus explains, not Ananafshi, I myself, but Ananafshi, me, my soul. I have written my soul down in the Torah and given it to you. In giving us the Torah, Hashem has given us himself. When we're talking about just thinking about the word of God, then we can't get past a certain level. We can't reach the essence. In order for us to relate to this internally, Hashem has to be shining within us. Hashem himself has to be shining within us, and then it's an internal experience. Then we get it. Then we really feel it. Then there's that yira ila'a, that very high fear, that place where we just totally lose our separate identity, and we literally merge with Hashem himself. It's yirei baishes. It's a fear stemming from shame, realizing that I don't have an independent existence. There's nothing to me. All there is is Hashem. I can get there intellectually, but to feel that emotionally, I need that level to be radiating within me. How could I? Torah. Torah is Hashem. Torah is beyond the world. The level of the word of God is totally nullified compared to the level of Torah. The level of the word of God is just a contracted level of Hashem as he contracted himself to bring creation into being. The level of Torah is Hashem's essence. When you're taking the word of God, which is creation, and you're putting it next to Torah, which is Hashem's essence, it loses all value and all significance. There's nothing to it. The Midrash says, Alpayim Shana Kadma Torah Olam." The Torah preceded the world by 2,000 years. And of course, it doesn't mean chronologically because there was no time before creation. But this is in level. The Torah is beyond the world. And that's why in chapter 5 in Tanya, the Altar talks about cases that come up in the Torah that never happened and never will happen. So why are they there? Because when it comes to human laws, the reason why they're there is because, you know, we need society to be a certain way, so we make these certain rules so that society can function properly. If certain things aren't going to happen, we don't have to make rules about that. But when it comes to Torah, this is Hashem's wisdom, essentially. Whether or not it happened or will happen, this is beyond creation. This is beyond the world. For us to truly be able to feel this level of bittel, of yira ila'a, this high level of fear of shame, fear stemming from shame, we can do this only one way, through Torah. Torah, the Chachma that we were talking about, ain Chachma, ain Yira, if there is no Chachma, there is no fear, we can have an internal experience of the divine through Torah study and mitzvah practice. How do we do it? has to be first with the lower level. Through yiratata, which is an external fear. And this is what is meant by the statement, if there is no fear, there is no wisdom. So it has to come like this. First, we need to have the basic level of fear. Keeping Torah and mitzvahs out of a place of, I'm doing this because I'm a Shem servant. I'm doing this because I recognize that he is the king. I'm doing this because I recognize his greatness. This leads us to keep the Torah and mitzvahs. I'm doing this because he told me to. Once we start practicing Torah and mitzvahs out of that space, then we have taken godliness within ourselves. We have an internal experience of the divine. That gives us the ability to truly assimilate these ideas within ourselves till we feel it, till they're literally pulsating within us, till that becomes our experience. Me? I don't have a separate existence. Everything was brought into existence by the word of Hashem, something from nothing. 
Compared to Hashem's essence, what is, the, what is the word of Hashem? The word of Hashem is nothing. And how could I forget that I'm part of everything? I am nothing. That experience, truly feeling that and allowing that to resonate within us happens through our practicing of Torah and mitzvahs. Nobody could experience that without keeping Torah and mitzvahs properly, which means that they first had to do the Torah and mitzvahs out of the place of fear of Hashem. First must come your tata and the resulting performance of Torah and mitzvot. Only then can one attain wisdom, yira ila'a and bitl b'metzias. So at this point, we finished talking about fear of Hashem that we started talking about in chapter 41. Chapter 41 began the idea of, yes, it's true that in order to serve Hashem and keep the mitzvahs, the positive mitzvahs, you need love. And in order to stay away from doing negative mitzvahs, you need fear. But nevertheless, fear of Hashem is first before everything else. It's the beginning of our service. It's its core and its root. Everything has to be out of that place of fear of Hashem. The altar we talked about a few levels of fear of Hashem. The basic level is Kabbalas ol Mahashemayim, accepting the yoke of the heavenly kingdom. This is not necessarily any level of feeling in my heart and maybe not even in my mind. I'm doing it because Hashem said so. Do I feel it? Maybe not but I'm doing it just because Hashem said so. That's the very basic level. And that too is called service. And that too is called fear. And that's enough to have yiratata. And there's a higher level than that. Realizing that Hashem is my master. I would never want to rebel against him. And then there's a higher level than that, which is still the lower level of fear. And that is recognizing Hashem's greatness by looking at the worlds and seeing how everything moves. And it's all an expression of the divine life force within it, coming to recognize his greatness. But that is still external and a lower level of fear because we're coming to know him from his garments. And then in this chapter, we looked at a much higher level of fear. And that is Yira Ila'a, higher fear, also known as Yira Baishas, fear stemming from shame. And the Altar Rebbe tells us somewhat about it, but he doesn't elaborate as much as he did when he talked about the lower levels of fear, which are very accessible to us. The Alter Rebbe is not elaborating so much on the Yere Baishas, the Yere Ila'a, he elaborated more on the lower levels of fear. Nevertheless, it is there for us to take. It may take a long time, but if the Alter Rebbe is describing the steps and the methodology to us, it means that it's there for us to reach. Now, let me just explain, let me just summarize what we said today in class, and then I'll open up for question and discussion. We talked about that in order to reach the higher level of fear, we need chachma. Chachma is the power of self-suspension. Chachma is the power to see beyond the obvious. What does the wise man see? He sees how all of creation was brought into being something from nothing by the word of Hashem. So knowing this, we realize that the heavens and earth and everything in it are literally nullified in existence to the word of Hashem that brings them into existence. It's like the nullification of the light of the sun within the body of the sun. In the body of the sun, the light of the sun has no separate existence. Now we each have to take that personally and realize we're part of that. We literally have no independent existence outside of Hashem. Everything about us, our body, our nefesh ruach, our neshama, are literally nullified in essence to the word of Hashem and his speech, which are united with his thought, which is united with he who is him, he is himself, that makes the word lose any independent value at all. And that's why our sages said, Yeras Hashem is Chachma. Fear of God is wisdom, meaning to reach this level of fear, we need Chachma. We cannot reach this level of Chachma unless we first practice Torah and mitzvahs. And that's why our sages said, 
If there is no wisdom, there is no fear. We have to live the Torah experience out of fear of Hashem, accepting His yoke and obeying Him. And then we have a divine experience within us because the Torah, the mitzvahs are literally one with Hashem. When we look at Torah and mitzvahs as being the essence of Hashem, and then we look at creation as being just the word of Hashem, the word of Hashem literally loses all value and significance compared to his very essence. But of course, we can only reach that through keeping Torah and mitzvahs. And how do we keep Torah and mitzvahs? By first having the lower level of fear. So it starts with the lower level of fear, then having Chachma, which is Torah and mitzvahs, then having this realization through keeping Torah and mitzvahs of that there's no existence outside of Hashem, and then we reach the higher level of fear, which is, hey, niras Hashem, hi Chachma, the wisdom of Hashem is Chachma. That's Yerat Ilah. So, ending class, class for today and opening up for questions and discussion. Okay, so I, I talked about this. Yes. So remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about meditating before we start dominating? Yeah. So, so maybe, this is a maybe. This is trying to think how to get this next level. So maybe if we sit down before we dominate and say to ourselves, I'm doing this because I accept God as my higher power, as the heavenly host. But I'm looking to to accept God in my in my ground of being. Maybe that's a step that can at some point take me. If I'm saying that to myself, to convince myself to open my soul to Hashem. A hundred percent. No, no, you're not making it up. Actually, that's what it says in the sources. It's like, even if a person is not there yet and they haven't worked through it, but knowing that this is the way to reach this higher level of fear is through Torah and mitzvahs, it should flavor the way we do Torah and mitzvahs. Like, maybe I'm not there yet, but I am now opening myself up to this experience of just melting away in the divine, having no independent existence. Even if I haven't yet internalized the ideas and worked through it properly, but knowing that's the goal and keeping the mitzvahs out of that mind space is definitely a step in that direction. Thank you for that. That's very important. I actually wanted to say that at class and I did it. So I appreciate that.